morning, church. How's everybody doing? I always say I'm good because the Lord is with me every day, right? Things may not be good in my life in a material way, in a, in a physical way, but I am good because my God is good and he is with me every day. So that's, that's my answer to that. But it's awkward to say all that when a pastor asks you how you're doing. So I know what you meant. Um, this morning, before we open the word, I'd like to start with prayer. Uh, just want to lift up some prayers um, for, for Gita and for your daughter, uh, who is, is it okay if I share, who's in the hospital right now. And so just pray for her. And we know Brigitte went through some struggles this week, too. So I just want to lift up some prayers for the church here. Does anyone else have any prayer requests they'd like to lift up so we can all pray together? I, I know I'm putting everyone on the spot. If not, it's okay. I just know I want to pray that prayer, and I want to open it up to anyone. Okay. Well, let's pray together as a church, if you will, and uh, just lift up our beloved family members. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning. Lord God, we just come before your throne. God, we pray for your healing. I'm Brigitte's daughter. God, we thank you for bringing Brigitte through what she went through this week. But God, we pray that you would bring healing to her daughter, that your hands would figure out what is going on within her body, that the doctors could get to the bottom of it, that they could, that you would, you would bring the peace of mind that they need, that you would bring healing that they need, we pray for Brigetta that she would feel your strength and your your kind hands when our families go through these tough times. So, God, we just commit them to your hands today. We pray for other prayers here today, uh, things on people's minds, their friends, their families, their loved ones, and we pray for them that they would be they would be safe, that they would your hand would be in their lives. We pray for for Dick and Lynn, that you would be with, that give them travel mercies today. And God, we just give this all up to you. In your name, Jesus, we as a church pray. Amen. God, I'd also like to ask that you would be with us this morning as we open the word, that you would you would speak, Lord, and we would hear, that you would you would anoint our hearts and our minds with your presence in a in a powerful way this morning. That we would hear this teaching from Daniel today, what Daniel has for us today, and that it would increase our love of you and increase our understanding of your truth today. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody. So tomorrow is Valentine's Day. I know that because I booked a restaurant a month in advance because I knew I would forget. And I know because they sent me a message saying, you're on for 7 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, that's right. So don't you worry, honey. I got you covered. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. It's love. Um, those, man, were those songs not gospel-centered about the love of God today and, and his who he is? That was just perfect for today. Amazing love. How can it be? Today we're going to open up Daniel and... We last week, as we remember, 
uh, we were talking about, and I'll just give a kind of a refresher here. Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity from Judah into Babylon. Ba- the Babylonians had invaded Judah, uh, Judea, conquered uh, Jerusalem, and captured in a series of, we'll see this, a series of events have uh, brought in exiles into Babylonia, and in fact brought Daniel and his friends even to the palace of the king. And so we talked about how Daniel was taken and exiled into Babylon. And this idea of Babylon isn't just this city, this city-state, this, this nation of Babylon, this kingdom of Babylon. It's really about a spirit of Babylon. And that the idea is there's a spirit of Babylon that's been going on really throughout the history of our recorded you know, humanity of the enemy bringing up a, a rebellion against God and using man's own plots and devices to do it. And so man has always existed in this rebellion to God. We go back to the days of the Tower of Babel and the building of Nineveh to now here in our story we have Babylon, whose capital city actually is becomes Nineveh. And we have this, this, this opening of Daniel that we talked about last week. What we see here is, is the sovereignty of God and the faithful people of God in the midst of being exiles in Babylon. And it's important to understand that we, as Christians, are exiles in our Babylon. That's what we talked about last week. Remember that as much as we can? (laughs) There's so much in here, so it's kind of important to give a refresher. We are in the midst of our Babylon. We'll actually study next week what that means of our Babylon, that we, we are in the you know, the descendants of Rome, but we are in the s- under the spirit of Babylon, a rebellion in the world against God, and we are the people of God exiled into that. And the next chapter, and we saw that in chapter one, where Daniel presents him and his friends and his, the people, the faithful people of, of Israel being brought into Babylon and how they stood and reclaimed and, and stood fast to their faithfulness to God and their identity as God's people. And that's what Daniel presented for us in chapter one. Now we're going to deal as we move forward. uh, We're going to be dealing with the next parts of Daniel. The next chapter is chapter two. In chapter two is the prophecy of Daniel of the of the golden of the great statue of Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to touch that today. We're going to save that for next week because we're going to be dealing with the prophecies as we move on the last two weeks of our of our series are going to deal with the prophecies of man, which is what we'll deal with next week in the statue, and then the prophecies of the enemy, of the end times, the 70 weeks prophecy, which is, man, we get into some really good stuff then. And we see that actually God revealed to Daniel a layout of the time from his time till the end of time when God defeats the enemy. This is all laid out for us in the book of Daniel. And so we'll deal with that in the next two weeks. This week, we're going to deal with narrative stories from Daniel. We know that Daniel is an interesting prophetic book because it comes to us through a narrative style of Daniel uh, as he recounts and and writes down the, the history of what happened to him and his friends. And so within the book of Daniel, we have narrative stories that Daniel recorded for us. Now, there's probably a lot of stuff that happened to him and his friends and the people of Judah brought into exile. But for some reason, Daniel records a couple key 
stories that he wanted those who would read his book to remember for all time. And in fact, that we still remember today. And so we're going to touch on those narrative stories today. And next week, we're going to get into the some heavy stuff as we deal with uh, Daniel's, you know, uh, interpreting the dreams and the prophecies of Daniel. So, yes, we have prophecies in Daniel. It is a prophetic book. It is a book about prophecy. But we have this important overarching narrative within Daniel. And I think Daniel gives us this this overarching narrative, these stories within his prophetic book to show us who God is, who the God who's giving these prophecies is, what his character is like. And there are two very important stories that we see Daniel give us. Like I said, if I I wish I could give this book justice and do three, four, five months on it. Uh, So we're kind of approaching this in a survey. So we're going to survey through two very important stories that show us, I think, a defining characteristic of who God is. And I think this defining characteristic of who God is is vital to understanding the importance of Daniel's teaching. This, This defining characteristic of God is vital to understand what Daniel is teaching us through the rest of the book. Because as we'll see uh, from chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way through 12, we'll see a lot of heavy prophecy and a lot of God revealing himself to his people. And so these stories show us this defining characteristic. And that defining characteristic is God's saving nature. A defining characteristic that Daniel specifically teaches us is that God is a savior. That's a defining characteristic of God and is specifically important to understanding Daniel's teaching. He is the God who saves. The God of Daniel, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, our God today is a God who saves. We as Christians know that deeply, don't we? We have the savior who we know has come and we know who's coming in. We even know his name, Jesus. He didn't, Daniel didn't know his name. But what I want us to understand is this saving nature of God that we know today is exactly who God has always been. It is vital to who he is. Our God, the creator God, is a God who desires to save his people. Our God is a God who desires to save people out of the fire and bring them to life. This is God. God is a savior. And so it's what Daniel teaches us today is this truth of who God is and why it's important to understand that if God's one of God's defining characteristics is he desires to save, then that tells us his plan as he unravels it throughout time. Is unraveled with a purpose of saving a people for himself. Isn't that beautiful? And so we see that in scripture. There's a quote by Jack O'Dell that says. Salvation is moving from living death to deathless life. Salvation is when God moves us from living in death to a deathless life. I think that's a good quote. It's a quote I remember a lot when dealing with this idea of salvation. God is going to save people from living in death and bring them into deathless life. So I want to start with a word of, from Isaiah, and we'll see that God has spoken about who he is. 
This is God's saving character. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 20 through 22. The Lord God says, assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this of, from old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? Which we, as we studied last week, this shows the sovereignty of God. They're, these idols are meaningless. Only God can declare the end from the beginning. Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. This is a declaration of God, not just to the people of Israel, but to all people. God calls himself a savior. That's what he calls himself. And in fact, he calls on the world, turn to me. I am the only savior. None of these lifeless idols can save you. As I've as I've ministered on the native colony, you see a lot of animism, a lot of spirit belief of, of different things. Different places have spiritual power or spiritual uh, connection. But none of them can save you. None of the, the things as, a, as we've, as we've you know, been in ministry there, none of these lifeless things, physical things, has any power to save. But the God who created, the God who created us all, he is the one who can save us out of this world. And man, do we as humans know we need a savior. There's a struggle in us that we need a savior. Now, a lot of people blind themselves to that fact. I don't need a savior. I'm good enough. Or I can find something else to do with my life. I'll be good. I'll do this with my life. And then I might be worth something. But in ourselves, we know there's something wrong. There's something broken. And, and everybody tries to figure out what that is. Religions are based on this principle of something's wrong with me. I need to do something to be fixed. And so we all know we need the Savior. But here's the true God who declares, I am a Savior Turn to me, all the ends of the earth, anyone and everyone. I am God. There is no other. Turn to me and be saved. So this is our God. In Daniel, we have this God being revealed to us and the importance of understanding that he is a savior God. So the first story we're going to deal with is the furnace. We know the furnace, the fiery furnace. That's a story we've remembered as kids. Uh, like I said, I remember watching uh, VeggieTales, watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, who wouldn't bow down to the giant chocolate bunny. The bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the bunny. They wouldn't bow down to the bunny. What actually happened is in this story, we'll see this next week. In chapter 2, Daniel, God gives Nebuchadnezzar this vision of this giant statue. And Daniel interprets and, and explains to him what the different parts of the statue are and how he represents the golden head of the statue. Well, Nebuchadnezzar then takes that idea and says, oh, that's great. I'm going to build a hundred foot tall statue that's gold of me, <laughs> of an image of us in my kingdom. Really, it's about 90 feet tall, 10 feet, uh, 90 feet tall, 10 feet wide. A giant statue, King Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue. 
And what we actually see here is in order to build a statue, he had to smelt down um, a bunch of gold and a bunch of of materials. And so they had these furnaces, which we see in history, these furnaces that, that were made to melt the gold down to build this giant statue. And what a message went out to all the world that when they, or all his kingdom, that when they heard the song being played in their city, they had to bow down and worship this statue. Well, now we come to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, these were the friends of Daniel that were taken into captivity. Even their names were changed so that they would, they would have to assimilate into Babylonian culture. And the king of Babylon had put them in charge of different precepts and precepts of his kingdom. And that made the other Babylonian, other Babylonians jealous, which we'll see here. And, and they didn't like the Jews having this power within their own kingdom. And so they maliciously tried to attack these Jewish leaders. We see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they know that these Jewish leaders have their own God. Remember, because of what Daniel and them did, they were allowed to worship their own God in the, in the place of Babylon. Well, so these malicious uh, people of Babylon came and knew that these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to follow this order, were not going to worship this, this giant image. And so they found, a, they found a chance to get rid of them. If no one, if anyone did not bow down when the song was played, they were to be cast into one of those furnaces, the very things that made the statue. And so they bring this accusation about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king, and the king was angry and furious because you can see he is so full of himself. He is the spirit of Babylon that he is God and God is not. He is God in his kingdom and what he's built is God. And so he brings his, his three precepts before him. And we have to assume that these three precepts really are, stand, are representative of other Jewish people like Daniel who, who were faithful to God. But these were their leaders. So he brings them before him and he, he calls upon them, asking them if they were not bowing before this idol. And he says, do you not know that if you do not bow before this idol, you will be cast into the burning fiery service. And so this or the burning fiery furnace. And so that's kind of the background of what happens. So here are the three men. They're standing before the king. And here's their answer to the king. Verse 16, Daniel chapter three, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. So their answer to the king who says, you have not bowed down before this image. Don't you know that you're going to be killed if you don't do it? Is we don't even need to answer you. We know our God. And if you want to throw us in the furnace, he'll deliver us from the furnace. And even if he doesn't, even if that's our time to die, we will not worship any other God but him. So these men of, of Judah show their faith. 
in the midst of Babylon, when Babylon declares, you must worship what we called you to worship. You must live the way we call you to live. You must do what we called you to do. Sure, you can have your religion. Go to church on Sunday. Do your thing. But only if it accords to our rules. Only if you're following what we say. Sure, you pray to your God, but you must worship this image of me. And they said, no, we will not do that. We continue. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Instead of seeing them as, as advisors and allies, he saw them as enemies. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than what it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound with their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other outer garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's orders was so urgent, the furnace was overheated. The flame of the fire killed the men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown fell bound into the fiery furnace. So here you have them being tossed in. The, the heat of the fire was so hot, it killed the very men that picked them up to throw them in. And they fell in, bound in chains into the fire. And when the king saw this, he was astonished. He looked. Verse 24. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not just cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, king. And he answered and said, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So here's a beautiful picture, a theophany, if you will, of Jesus in the fire with his people. The king was surprised as the fire burned his own men, but they fell into the fire without dying. The king looked and saw their own, these three that he threw into the fire, walking around in the fire, their chains broken with another, one who looked like a son of a god, walking in the fire with them. Nebuchadnezzar didn't fully understand, but I think this was Jesus in the flames, in the fire. A theophany, a, a pre-incarnate Christ, if you will, with his people. Man, that would have been something to see. That would have been something to walk in that fire. The flames aren't even touching their skin. And they're standing there with this, this Lord, this, this king that they probably don't fully understand, standing there with them, who's released their chains. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, watch this, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. They climbed out of the pit. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over their bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not even singed. Their cloaks were not even harmed. Not even the smell of fire came upon them. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. And we know that he sent out a decree saying, Anyone who speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. (laughs) Their houses laid to ruins because there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. I bet those three men looked like fools standing before the king. When the king asked, don't you know I'm going to throw you into the fire? They said, throw us in. Our God is mighty to save. They looked. They looked like fools to him. But when they climbed out, it showed even Nebuchadnezzar that there was only one God mighty to save. Only one God could have done that, could have saved them. His God sure couldn't do that. He wouldn't give his life for his own gods. But they gave their life for this God and this God saved them. This God sent someone in there to to rescue them. This is a God. And so there we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Now we come several years later, actually quite a long time later. We come to Daniel around 70. Daniel, he's an older man now in our next story. He records this story for us in Daniel chapter 6. Persia has conquered Babylon. Darius, the king, has risen to power. Babylon has fell. The Persian Mede Empire is now in charge. Daniel, remember Daniel, being the man of God, standing up for his God, was at the right hand of the king of Babylon. He's now at the right hand of the king of Persia. But we see in Persia that same spirit of Babylon, that, that the king and his kingdom, they are God. The kingdom is God. Not any creator. The same spirit is still there. Well, this new king comes into power and he likes Daniel. In fact, so much he wants to put Daniel in charge of his land as almost a precept over his own kingdom. And the Persian officials who hear this about Daniel again are jealous and angry that you would make a Jew one of our leaders. And so they sought to come together to trick the king into killing Daniel. And they said to the king to put out a document, to put out a, a decree to, to celebrate the king, celebrate his victory, that when, they, when the people once again hear the sound and hear the trumpets and hear the song, they were to worship the king. For 30 days, they could only worship the king of Persia. Well, Daniel hears this. Daniel receives this document. And we see this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed. He gave thanks before God as he had always done, as he had done previously. So Daniel wasn't afraid of this decree. He did what he had always done. He didn't hide it either, which I always found really interesting. He stood up there, he kneeled down, and windows open, staring at Jerusalem, and he prayed. 
And these men, verse 11, these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition. It's almost as if they knew where he was going to be because he had always done it. And making his petition and plea before God. And we continue in verse 15. Daniel chapter 6, verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So they're going to begin to catch the king in his trap, in this trap. Don't you find it interesting that these men came by agreement to the king? When someone's coming after you, man, do they not always come in a mob? Do they not always try to grab someone else with them, whisper, hey, let's go talk to him. Let's get a hold of him. Let's, let's get this guy. That's why gossip is so deadly in a church. This is something that we need to establish from this word. Man, when we see they're coming by agreement secretly to go to the leader, to trick the leader into doing something that they want for their own intention, that's why gossip is deadly. We need to come to one another. Jesus, in fact, it nips this on, on the, you know what? He says, go to one another one-on-one, -on -one, then bring someone else if they don't listen, then bring it a couple others that they don't, then bring it to the church. We need, we need to not be like these men trying to finesse things for our own. We need to trust God and communicate with one another. My little sidebar there. But so they come to the king. They say, don't you know that you can't change? Once it's been established, it can't be changed. The king commanded. And they, they said, look at Daniel. He is doing this against you. So the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast. Oh, we skipped a huge thing here. My bad. Um, let me go back to verse 12. Then they came near and said to the king concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any any God or any man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law, according to our law. It cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, the or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And when the king heard these words, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And that's when these men came by agreement to say, King, you said you can't change what must be done. And so the king agreed, and he, co he commanded that Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. The king declared, verse 16, the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the lion's den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. The king went to his own palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of dawn, the king arose, went to haste to the lion's den as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tongue of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? He liked Daniel. He didn't want Daniel to die, even though he was caught in this trap from these men, that he had to send Daniel to the lion's pit. He called out, saying, Daniel, are you alive? And Daniel said, O king, live forever. Long live the king. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad, commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. 
And so Daniel was taken up out of the den. No, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. And those men who had uh, connived against him, they were thrown into the den with their families. And justice was served. And in fact, this king sent out another declaration saying, Do this God of Daniel is a God not to be trifled with. He is a God who saves. He is a living God who saves. And I want to go to verse 27 there, Daniel chapter 6, 27. He delivers and rescues. He works signs of wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This was a foreign king declaring this about God because of what he saw in Daniel. So, we come through these very important narrative stories. These are the two narrative stories that Daniel leaves for us for some reason. In the midst of his prophetic book, he gives these two important stories showing the character of his, do- his God. And in fact, the result of both of these stories is God saves his people. And by saving his people, the people watching it, the people who had attacked his own people, the people who had brought brought injustice against his people now see who their God truly is and are now I I don't know if they fully give their hearts to them or worship him but they see who he is and they respect him for who he is they see the God of Daniel these stories exemplify God's saving desire for his people that's what the truth of these stories are they exemplify God's saving desire for his people They affirm that we as his people can still trust in him today. That's why Daniel left these stories for us. He wanted those reading to say, yes, God has this plan for history. Trust in him because his plan is to save. He has a plan to bring himself glory. In fact, to bring the father glory. But in the midst of that, he desires to save a people for himself. Now, these stories are descriptive accounts of the deliverance of God. They're not prescriptive. Don't go jump into a furnace. You will get burned. Don't try to wrestle with a lion. I know they look cuddly. You will get bit. These are descriptive stories of the deliverance of God. But they point to an even greater deliverance itself. A deliverance of death. A deliverance of us from the power of death. See, God has a desire to save, and his desire to save is fully shown on the cross. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says, God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, he is one God, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God desires for all those who have turned against him, all those lost in the darkness, all those who have turned away from their Savior, he desires to save them, that they would come and turn to him. And he showed the power of his salvation. He showed what it means to save by the cross itself, that Jesus came and died, gave himself as a ransom for all. And that's the testimony we give today. Christ Jesus came and gave himself. God has a desire to save, and this is how he did it. Jesus came and died. This is God's desire for his people. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, 
God himself says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil way. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Turn back. I have no desire for the wicked to to experience death. I want them to be saved, to turn from their evil ways, to be forgiven. And this is how God says, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, but the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God's desire from old, and he shows this in the book of Daniel, is that he wishes to save us. He wishes to save those who are lost, those who are sinning, those who are who are caught in their sin, who are who are guilty before a holy and righteous God. He desires to save them, not that they would work their way to him, but that he would come and reach out his hand and save them. That is his desire. And there is no other way to be saved except by the hand of Jesus. And that's what true love is. We talk about love. We talk about love right now on Valentine's Day. That is true love. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not not because he thought you would become a good person one day, that you might choose him one day, that you're good now, oh, you're, you're good enough. No, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, just as if, justified, just as if we never sinned. Since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? And more than that, we enjoy, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have redeemed, have received reconciliation. And so now all we must do to receive that. I know everyone here. I hope, <laughs> has already received that, has called on the name of God. And it's so simple. Romans 10, 9 is so simple. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. I say that to you today because I'm sure there are people in your life who still need to hear the gospel. That's how simple it is. I just had a discussion with my best friend talking about people in the Catholic Church. Well, can they be saved if they think that, that grace comes by uh, the church and not by Jesus. And so it's as simple as Romans 10, 9. Do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord? Believe that in your heart that he has forgiven you. And that you, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Because he is king. And he wants to save you. And in fact, we are saved. Just as... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the fire. We are saved from the fire of death. Just as Daniel was saved from the lion's den, we are saved from the teeth of sin itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have victory because our God is a God who saves. And he saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's salvation, I'll close with this. 
God's salvation is central to these prophecies of Daniel that we're going to move into. While kingdoms rise and fall, God will save a people of his kingdom. While the enemy will stand in rebellion to God, the anointed one will save us and reconcile us back to God. This is vital to see as we deal with these things. So what's our response today? As we look at this book, as we look at what Daniel's teaching us today, I think we have one response. Trust in the Lord because he is mighty to save. I know we as Christians, we have become Christians. We have become people of God because we trust in the Lord to save. But man, do we trust in the Lord every day in that deep way of standing in the lion's den with the lion's mouth at your face saying, I just need to trust in Jesus right now? Because right now in so many of our lives, that lion is right there, isn't it? That fire is right there burning our skin. But we trust in the Lord to save. Because as Zephaniah says, the Lord is in our midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He rejoices over us with gladness. He will quiet us by his love. He will exalt over us with loud singing. God is able to save to the uttermost, as we see in Hebrews 7. So my prayer for everyone today is have peace in your heart, knowing that you have a God who saves, and you have a God who saves you right now. He has saved you. He has saved your soul. Death has no sting. Sin has no power over you. You are alive in Christ Jesus, and yet you still face your lion every day. Sometimes people throw you into that lion's den. Sometimes you step into that lion's den yourself. But when you're staring face-to-face with that lion, You trust in the mighty Lord Jesus who comes to close the mouth. He is our Savior every day. So trust in him every day. Trust in the one who is going to have victory. Be at peace today knowing your Savior is the same God today as he always has been. I think that's the message of Daniel as he shows us in these stories here. So I leave you with this verse, John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to me is greater than all. No one is even able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I and the father are one. We belong to God. He has saved us and he keeps us. He has us. Trust in him every day. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this truth we see in your word today. That Daniel, you're you're a wise man who became a prophet. Who spoke the words of truth to us today. Wanted us to remember these stories of your salvation. That really happened. That you really did these things to show that you are a God who To show that you are a God who redeems his people. That no matter what comes, as we look at the history unfolding before us in in the next couple weeks, that you have planned the beginning from the end, that you are working for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. That you are saving a people for yourself to glorify and worship you forever, to enjoy you forever. 
Lord God, we thank you that we are your people, that if we believe this truth that you, Lord Jesus, came and died, that that was the fulfillment of your love, of your saving nature. We believe that you have saved us by that blood that was spilt, by you taking our place, by you dying for us and taking the punishment upon yourself that we deserve, that we are saved now, that we are in your hands now that you, God, are the Savior who saves your people. And we are just so blessed, so thankful, and have so much joy that we are your people, that you have saved us. Help us to trust in you every day, knowing that you want to save us. In your name, Jesus, by your power, Holy Spirit, and to your glory, Father, we pray. Amen. Will you uh, sing with me one last time?